Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things and... Save drumstick, guys. Drumstick is safe. <laughs> the world is a better place. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the right time for a pardon, Nick. God you know, this is drumstick. this is pardon time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Uh, Barstool Politics, episode forty-nine, almost what? at fifty. Yeah, that's crazy. And you didn't have me on for the fiftieth. I I'm slighted the 49th, well, but not the fiftieth. We were so excited with Dr. Suzanne Chad uh, that we had to go for forty-nine. Oh, yes. thanks. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, yeah, I, I guess we haven't really done it in a while. Uh, we should probably introduce ourselves to to people. We've gotten new listeners and you know the past 30 episodes and we haven't been introducing ourselves uh i am nick mcguire i am a what what's the best way to put it what did you call him bill i was a man an entrepreneur entrepreneur and um former um poli sci student and and uh, political science uh grad from north central college and then uh, my co-host is Dr. Bill Muck, who is here with us as well. Also from North Central College, a professor of political science. And we're joined by uh, Dr. Suzanne Chad, a professor of political science with a specialty in American politics. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having yeah. me. And Phil isn't here. It's, it's, I know. It's just not good. There's a hole. I will be the poor man's Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is a perfect day to have Suzanne on, given all of the themes this week and... I don't know. It's just, we were talking beforehand. It's just sad what's going on in terms of sexual harassment. I mean, I think we learned that there's no corner of America that's not been plagued by sexual harassment. It is, it's an, it's a awful time. It is. And, and what Bill and I were just talking about before we went on is he's like, it's just awful. And it comes out of the woodwork. And I said, yeah, but you know who's known forever that this has been going on? Women. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've, all experience this in some way, shape, or form, some more egregious than others. And what's interesting, too, is that there's been some pieces written lately in, inside higher ed and others about the pervasiveness of this in higher education as well. Yeah. So it's not, like you said, it's in every corner. It's coming from right. everywhere. And it, we saw this week that uh, it happens on both sides of the aisle. Al Franken. Uh, now two women have come forward to say Al Franken assaulted them. Uh, the media is not immune. So Charlie Rose today, some awful allegations wow, against that him. Happened fast. I know. Yes. Really fast. But it, it's a wave. So once you start this process, more and more women are coming forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Thrush, uh, a prominent reporter for the New York Times, allegations have been uh, let, la- leveled against him. So I mean, it really is surprising the sheer numbers. And then that's not even to speak of Roy Moore, who mm. we, we got to talk some Roy Moore. Oh I will say, when we first started talking about it, we started talking about Harvey Weinstein when this, yes. when this stuff started coming down. You were really skeptical about us even bringing it up. And yes. we talked about that's, that's it's right. going to hit the political sphere at some point. Of course it will. And it didn't. It took, what, less than a month? That's a really good point. I've yeah. forgotten how. I always thought, this is nothing. It's just another story. And yeah. right, is it, it did a nothing explode. burger? It was a nothing burger. I probably said burger. that. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's an everything burger. And it is. It's as, it's as if there was a tipping point that was hit. Mm-hmm. And now it's – and I think this is a good thing. It's yes. cathartic for the country to have it. But it is not good for – the men who have been engaging in sexual harassment. Well, yeah, they all suck. Yeah. And it's good that they're, you know, that 
the women who've been victims of this feel like because enough women are coming forward that there's, I don't want to say safety in numbers, but yeah. that there's there's more credibility, right? When one woman comes forward or wants to come forward, there's a lot of fear that she won't be believed. But when it's this wave, as you say, of all of these women coming forward, then it's a safety for others who've experienced this decades ago to say, okay, maybe I'll be believed now. Yeah. And so that's a good thing that it's all coming out, but it's a bad thing because they're all coming out, which right. means all these things have actually happened. The Al Franken one is a really kind of. I was surprised by that. I'm Although I should, fascinated. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one, and it puts Democrats in a really, really difficult position. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, why? Explain. Well, it's easy. It's it's easy to look at Roy Moore and the things he's been accused of doing, in particular being a a child molester. Mm-hmm. And take the high road and be on your high horse and say, you know, this is what this man did and this is how awful he is and is this somehow enigmatic of the Republican Party as a whole and the values they 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 hold and look at who our president is who did all of these things and is still president and all of that. But now for this for a Democrat to have done this, the 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 party had to be very strategic in how they respond. So they haven't asked him to resign, but they also are not fundraising him with with him anymore. They don't want him around anywhere, and they're not they're they're his credibility with the party is shot. And so they could ask him to resign because it's Minnesota. A Democrat is going to get replaced to be in his seat. They're going to put a Democrat in and then for a special election, a Democrat's going to win. It may be smart to forcibly remove him. To me, this seems like a no-brainer for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. If they want to be able to push back on Moore and Trump, that you have to say that this is unacceptable right. and and go after. And even if that means Al Franken has to be removed, and I, Democrats love him. For the greater cause. But you're right. Minnesota is going to continue to elect a Democratic senator, so it doesn't affect, doesn't hurt you there. And it sucks for Al Franken. <laughs> well, and it was different. Well, not different. But it's a little bit harder now to say he should stay because the second allegation is once he was a senator. Yep. It was one thing when it was before, even though that's not appropriate. But if it's when he was in office, yeah. then how do you sit there and say it's okay hmm. when – I mean, now, now the other thing that bothers me, though, is to compare what he did to what Roy Moore did. And so they're getting lumped and thrown in together, right? And this is what Trump did when you talked about Al Frankenstein yep, yep. Uh, in his good. tweet he's, and, he's spelled cool. it, and spelled it wrong, which was almost the best part <laughs> of all of that. Really? Go back I and look at it. Frankenstein oh, spelled wrong. To lump them in together, yes, it's bad if you assault a woman, sexually assault a woman, harass a woman. But when you molest a 14-year-old, you should not be lumped in with someone who does it with a grown woman. Because it's different. Sure. It's bad, but it's different. But we're not at a stage right now where we can make those distinctions. It's no. basically right. zero tolerance. It, Which it should be. Absolutely. Yeah, but we can't make gradations to say that, well, what Al Franken did was not as bad as what Roy Moore. And I think you're no. right. You're absolutely right. right. Nick, beforehand, you were talking about the SNL letter. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. I, was I talking about oh, that? You, te- you, you texted it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there were, um, I think it was 36 women who either currently or were formerly on SNL, who wrote a letter saying that they don't agree with uh, what Al Franken did, but he's a family man, and, you know, they've never done any, or he's never done anything like that to them, and, you know, they want this to, you know, be hashed out through the justice system or whatever, but, you know, he's he's a good person. And I saw that, and that drove me Fucking crazy, <laughs> and like if that if that, if a group of women, and again these are not even remotely the same situations. If a group of women who support, uh, supported 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 um, <laughs> Roy Moore did something like that, there would be 
riots in the fucking streets. It, it's just, and, and like, and you said, it's it's a zero tolerance yeah. game that we're playing right now. But the fact that that is acceptable because it comes from that political perspective is it's insane to me it's it's a really good point because my reaction to that when i i'd seen that letter beforehand my thought was well al franken is is a good guy he made a mistake we should probably give him the benefit of the doubt but then i thought about your point roy there were women around roy moore including his wife yes. who made the same exact argument and when i hear those women make that you argument cringe. yeah right. and i say that's terrible they're defending a monster right and so you see how partisanship absolutely is tinging our ability to to uh, that's I think that's why you have to have a zero tolerance, mm-hmm. especially in the Senate or yeah. anywhere, I guess wherever it is in any kind of government position that, that should be it well, especially if we talk a big game, and I will say specifically on the Democrat side, to want more women in politics. And we need more women in elected office. We saw women, I mean, have a really good night uh, during, this, during the elections a couple weeks ago, that first election on Tuesday the, when we had the governor races and so forth in Virginia. Women won all across the country in big, big numbers. So we want to talk about bringing women into politics and having them into these federal institutions. But when they get there this is how they're treated or they've already been treated this way in lower level offices yet they've pushed through it to continue to want to serve well if you're going to create a culture that's going to keep women from being able to enjoy the full privileges of being a member of congress Mm -hmm. then they're not going to want to be there and so it's counterintuitive but it's also the nature of the institution because it's run by men and it serves men right and you do see a distinction between the corporate world and the political world, where it seems oh, yeah. to me that there's more tolerance for this in the political world. Mm. If if Al Franken, if the incident of Al Franken had happened in the corporate world, I think mm. they would have moved very, and it became public, yes. right? It's just you're just fired. You don't right. you don't get a second chance. Right. There's no ethics hearing about. There's this. no mediation. Yeah, there's no just, required counseling. Yeah, which is we, what's required for Congress. We talked about this. I mean, it's as shitty as any of these allegations are, and I'm sure a lot of them, if not the majority of them, are true. It's it's strategy at this point. It, like you can talk about the need to remove Al Franken from office, but why take the chance? Like if you don't have to, and realistically, there's a good chance that he would probably win re-election regardless of these allegations. Well, just like, more yeah. exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why even attempt to take that chance? Go ahead, Suzanne. Well, I think we're probably <laughs> going to say the same thing, which is that it proves a point that the Democrats need to prove right now, right? Mm-hmm. If they want to continue to talk about Roy Moore and bring Trump back up again with the things that he's been accused of doing and give it a pass for all, all this time and was you know was elected, um, then they have to. The party has to be strategic about saying, we look like assholes if we don't make some kind of strong statement, which could either be forcing him to resign or publicly advocating for his resignation. They lose credibility if they don't do something swift and something big, even though he probably would get reelected and people would, it would, they would forget. It doesn't serve them in the long term, I don't Mm. think. Absolutely. And given that if Roy Moore is going to be elected and potentially be seated in the Senate, you need to continue to hang this. Mm -hmm. If you're a Democrat, you want to hang this over a Republican's head Mm -hmm. all the way through the midterms, all as long as possible. You can't do that. If Al Franken is still sitting across from him. So it, it seems to me that Democrats, I think, should have pushed harder. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've distanced themselves. But some of their lackadaisical response to this mm-hmm. means that you're you're playing the moral equivalency here. And I think it's a it's a it's a poor decision. OK, so let's play this out. Then. Yeah. In in the extreme. Where what's the end game of this? What's the the proper strategy to take? Like if you 
do that, if one of the two parties or both parties do this and they come out and advocate for the removal or begin the process of removing mm -hmm. either a sitting senator or someone who's running for Senate, mm -hmm. what happens with candidates going forward with when any of these allegations come about? It's I think it's really messy. I think it's worse for Republicans than it is for Democrats. Because let's say that Roy Moore steps down, or let's say, to your point, that they say, this is, we have a zero tolerance. Anybody who there's any accusations has to step down. And Al Franken steps down. Roy Moore steps down. Then you have to think about Trump. If that's the new norm, mm -hmm. you have to return to all these politicians. And you have a conversation about Bill Clinton, and you can condemn him for that. Mm -hmm. But then eventually the needle turns to Donald Trump, and then you have to have this this discussion at the executive branch. Right. So I think it's useful for Democrats mm -hmm. to continue this, even if you lose Al Franken. Because at the end of the day, Al Franken doesn't matter. He's a pawn. You, you, you drop him, and you'll just elect a new... Enter Minnes new Democrats, Minnesota. Yes. Minnesota is so safe Democratic that I think this is... But I guess there's your question's a great one, because not only is it strategic, but there's also like a moral element to this. Mm -hmm. If we're going to stand yeah. for something, all politicians should argue that there's we just there can't be... But the problem is, <laughs> most of the men are guilty of doing it. So right. this is the thing, is that it's really easy to sit there and be like, oh no, we should reject them all and push them all and expel them all, when most of these assholes are sitting in there who've groped a staffer or grabbed a woman on the House floor or talked about wanting to do X, Y, and Z to them or with them. And so they need to be really yeah. careful about opening the floodgates, which I, I would estimate is probably part of the reason why they're they're hedging of course yeah and it's not surprising today trump came out just this afternoon and basically endorsed roy moore uh and he came out and you know he said he denies it he's talking about roy moore he denies it uh you have to give him the benefit of the doubt uh, we don't need a liberal person there and this seems to be the line of argument to say a democrat in the senate is a real danger to my agenda uh and to so the then, country it's a danger to the country exactly and mm -hmm. so then you're saying well a child molester is better than a Democrat in the office. Yes. Uh, but there's a couple of reasons why Trump has to make that argument. Some Part of it is, is you want to keep the balance of power. But the other is that you can't afford to give this argument up. You can't dig too deep. But how many days was it? Washington Post was doing – no, CNN was doing like a clock of how long it took for Donald Trump to say something about the Roy Moore situation. Mm -hmm. and I think we were almost at a week. Yeah. And I was actually surprised that he didn't come out earlier because he didn't support Roy Moore. He supported right, Luther right. Strange. It'd be easy for him. It would have yeah. been so, exactly. That's so what I said to my students. It would have been so easy for him to come out and say, see, because this is very Trump, right? I was right all along. You should have all voted for Strange, blah, blah, blah. Look at how awful he is. But I'm sure someone told him, no, we need him. We need to, him to be sure. seated in the Senate so that you can get your agenda passed. So just don't say anything. What do you, what do you two think about the fact that the Alabama governor, a woman, came out and said she is going to continue to endorse endorse Roy Moore and vote for Roy Moore, mm -hmm. but she believes the women, yeah. which is this really bizarre thing. And she made the same kind of political argument that it's important that we don't lose this seat. But you have a woman in a position of power saying... Who probably I, experienced yes, these kinds of things against yes, herself. I believe the, the allegations of these women, yet I'm still going to vote for the guy who did it. Because yes. this is where we are. That yeah. was dumb. Okay. <laughs> good, good. But So, yes. Yes, it is, Nick. We did teach you well in the end. Yay. But it's... I think it's just very endemic of where we are with our partisanship, mm -hmm. right? That you look at all the polls that say that Republicans are afraid of Democrats, Democrats are afraid of Republicans. The one party thinks the other party is trying to ruin the country and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket if the other party controls Congress or controls the White House, whatever it is. That we have gotten so far down this rabbit hole of partisanship 
that you can look at someone and say, I believe that you molested a 14-year-old girl, but you know what? You're a Republican and I'm a Republican, so I'm just going to go ahead and let it pass and vote for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If nothing else tells us how far down that rabbit hole we've gone, this is that. What's interesting to me is that we're seeing a distinction between Senate Republicans who are unwilling to buy that argument and the executive branch and then local Alabama politicians who have been. Uh, I I, to, to the Republicans' credit in the Senate, they've been fairly clear about rejecting Roy Moore. Uh, there's there's probably reasons for that too, Nick. Yeah, right? for, yeah. to some extent. Yeah, it's, it's not just morality. <laughs> no, I I think it's it's the same strategic mindset that all of them have, and I, I think the senators are, are more keenly aware of that than some of the the House representatives. But um, you know, it's they they're constantly hedging their bets. It's and realistically, I especially after the conversation that we're having, you know, saying that. You know, it's terrible if he did these things. Let's see what actually happened. Let's get more information, and then they get crucified for that. But it's there. It's just a no-win scenario right yeah. now because realistically, and like you were saying, Suzanne, most of these people, I, I would probably say the majority of people in uh, the House and the Senate have. Um, committed some sort of act like this i know because it happened to me yeah. so yeah I, like i it's endemic right. yeah yeah that's so right. Right. I, it's because it's I, about power it's right. a cult. It's, it's a culture it is a culture right yeah so as much as i understand the strategic mindset and would probably play that game too had i if i was mm-hmm. in that particular position mm-hmm. in the way things are organized right now i said let it burn to the ground what I was thinking when Bill was talking about why the Senate Republicans are acting a little bit differently than House Republicans, some of it has to do with just the way the chambers are different. So the yeah. senators, we talk about institutional patriotism. And even though we've lost a little bit of this, the sort of the, what McCain calls like the, the regular order of the Senate is a bit lost. But there still is something about the institution being greater than the individual senator mm. in a way that the House has never had and never will have. So I think some of the different response of senators has to do with this idea of institutional patriotism because they don't want it to burn to the ground. Yeah. And they do think of it as the upper chamber. And it has to set an example, which is why... Roy Moore being seated and now Al, and now oh, I said Al Gore Al Franken sorry <laughs> Al Franken having these charges put against him it rocks this this institution that has been set on a pedestal like oh it's one thing if it happens in the house right they're all these like um, you know we talk about the senators as eloquent states people mm-hmm. right that's not who the house members are so of course they engage in this kind of activity senators would never yeah. do that oh but yeah they do. Mm. Where does it? I also think this was a bad week for Bill Clinton. All of, I mean, you're seeing this shift, right? And we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of Bill Clinton's reputation taking a hit. And if Democrats are going to move against Al Franken, they also have to reckon with Bill Clinton and the legacy of that, don't you think? Or it feels like this week there was some, there was some movement there. I, I'm, I have, I'm struggling with with yeah. making sense of this. I'm being honest about it yeah. because I see how the situation between President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky was all about power, right? He was in a position of power. He could use that position of power to create a situation where they could engage in these activities together. Mm -hmm. Now, from what I remember, and I was a lot younger, she never charged him with anything that was non-consensual. Correct. But the point I think that's being made this week is that he abused his position of power to take advantage of an intern. Right, right. And I don't disagree that that is potentially what happened. And I'm trying to make sure that, like, 
my little love for Billy. Right. And my Democratic blinders are, are off as I think about this. But I do, I think that there is a, mm, I think there's a difference between having a consensual sure. relationship that was inappropriate but consensual as opposed to rape or groping or inappropriate and unwanted advances that creates a hostile work environment. There, yes, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I still think there's a power dynamic that's really troubling. I agree. Yeah. And, and if it was Roy Moore in that circumstance, I think, you know, me being on the left, I would I would feel frustrated or upset by that. But it's not just Monica Lewinsky, right? There are other women. And some of those... Right. No, you're right. You're, are, right. Are, um, you're right. discredited. Yes, by absolutely. The no, you're right. right. You're absolutely right. So, and I, I think when you go back to that and you look back, and there was a piece by... Oh, I'm trying to think where I saw that this week. I don't know if it was the Times. But they looked back and they talked about some of those claims. Mm-hmm. In this context, it, it is awful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be difficult for those of us on the left to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. But I I think you have to. Otherwise, yeah. it's hypocrisy. Yes. You can't go after Roy Moore and say, terrible, 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 and then not reckon with your own past. And that's so part of... Are on the as left. long as they're all of <laughs> age, I yes. really want to continue to make that distinction. Because, yes, we should say there's zero tolerance, but mm-hmm. molesting a 14-year-old is not the same thing. Right. Absolutely. It's just not. And that's a, that's a conversation or that's a, a process that has to come. But I think we're not there now. Now yeah. it's just about exposing but there will be that conversation to say there's a difference between what Al Franken did and what Roy Moore did and you know all these other claims that I don't know how you're going to have that conversation though how do you draw those lines at this point it's very difficult well some of it I think has to do with if we talk about the culture of Congress for example it's about what is happening in the institution that creates an environment that does not allow women to have the full privileges of being members and creates a hostile work environment. So it's one thing if you pursue and and harass or engage someone outside of the workplace, which yeah. is what Roy Moore was doing, which is awful and inappropriate and terrible. But I wonder if what the House and Senate would have to do is talk about what's in their own institution first and say, here is the policy we have for anyone sitting in these seats or want anybody who wants to sit in these seats. This is what is allowed, not allowed, appropriate, not appropriate. These are where we draw the lines. Maybe one way to have the conversation sure, is sure. what I'm saying. I mean, and I, I don't know. This is my thought, but shouldn't these be relatively universal standards? Oh, uh, well, across yes, society? but also there's no HR department in house, the House and Senate, right? right. So like Bill was talking about how this works in, the, in, in business, for example. There's no HR department. There's no required sexual harassment training. But they're taking there's, classes now. Well, right. that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's awful. But the protections. There's only, I mean, the Office of Compliance that handles these claims has only been around since 1995. Mm-hmm. And there were no policies put in place to protect women at all in any, whether we talk about staffers or sitting members of Congress from these kind, they had no protection and no recourse. So now they have it, although it needs to be changed because it's ridiculous. But, you know, there, it should be universal. But in an institution like Congress, yeah. where they don't do things like other institutions, they don't have that. Well, and, and there's also so few women. That's what's so fascinating about all of this. It's not just the political world. We're seeing this in the political world, in the media world, in entertainment. All all facets of society were being are exposed in awful ways. Now, I know we need to move on and start talking taxes. But before we do, I have one more question. Would we be having these conversations if Hillary Clinton had won? Is there something unique about Donald Trump that... And maybe it's maybe it's Donald Trump, maybe it's Roy Moore. But I guess the question is, would we be engaged in the same type of reflection about sexual harassment if Hillary had won? I mean, he wasn't 
necessary. I mean, uh, we can talk about the Access Hollywood tapes and and all of that stuff and the and the previous allegations, but he wasn't really the catalyst for this movement. I think. I, I mean, I think he, he's you know becoming more of an integral part of it, but. I think we would. I probably think, think so. yes. Yeah. yeah. I would hope so. I mean, I. What, but what I do think is a bit different is that he is the epitome of this sort of toxic hypermasculinity, mm-hmm. and the types of behaviors that women are describing are things that he. We heard him in his own words say that he does, and. I'm not suggesting at all that men are engaging in it more than before because he got away with it and is president. But it can't. Mm-hmm. It can't hurt. Right? I mean, obviously, as we've talked about, it's endemic of a culture, and in particularly in institutions, whether we talk about Congress, we talk about entertainment, we talk about big business, corporations, where there is a, there's a club that you want to get into and you'll do whatever you can to get into it. It's a ripe environment to take advantage, particularly of women and of young women. Yeah. And so if, this, if the person who serves as the most powerful person in the world has engaged in all of these activities and represents this kind of culture, then... I think it brings it to the forefront more than it would have if Hillary Clinton were president. I think that's right. I think it brings it out more, but I don't. I don't suggest. Isn't, I agree with what Nick's saying, which is I think that you know Harvey Weinstein would have broke regardless right, right. of whether she was president. But back to my point of whether Harvey Weinstein would have been the tipping point for all these other issues. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure yeah. if if Hillary was president and if it wasn't Donald Trump who so easily organizes the opposition. I don't know if it would have had the same effect. And anyway, again, it's it's a historical what if, but uh, this might be a unique thing to say like good job Trump, right? You facilitated <laughs> you facilitated this important conversation that the country had to have. Right. Um, so does it eventually touch him though? Yes. I think it so. Has to. It has to. I don't think it does. It mm, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> I, hear, I just yeah. I I think and Bill, you mentioned this earlier, is that if Congress is going to start to take a stance on this and they're going to kind of look inside of themselves and make statements about what is and what is not acceptable to be in, to be in those institutions, uh-huh. how do you not turn it around and look at the executive branch? It's, I, I don't see a way that – and especially the accusers, uh, the Trump accusers are coming out in the media saying now, like, no one cared about us when we were saying all this stuff was happening – now you care about all these other claims, but like, what about us? And so it would be interesting to see if now they come back to the forefront and so, he's forced to really reckon with these. I, 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 again, I think that's implying that they actually do go down that road and do take a deep, long look at themselves mm-hmm. and see if there's something that needs to be changed. I mean, as much as I made a joke about it a few minutes ago, they're doing sexual harassment and human resources class, just like any corporation would when something like this happens. Oh, and then it just kind of goes away at some point. And, and I think that's yeah. what they're hoping for. That's the most frustrating part. But, but this is something unique. This is different than previous times where there's been sexual harassment exposed. And, and the deeper and the more authentic these conversations are, the more worried Donald Trump should be. Right. Uh, just this week, he was doing the whataboutism, saying, well, what about Al Franken? What about all these other issues? And look at the left. If I'm Donald Trump, I'm not doing that. I do everything I can to tamp down this conversation because at some point it is going to come back to him. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of women out there at, who are have alleged that he's engaged in inappropriate misconduct. So I, I think he should be worried. I don't think he's going to be immune to this. I think he takes a drumstick as the first pet and that <laughs> takes all the attention. But I, I know when you move turkey. on, but if I could just bring this up quickly. Yeah. I had mentioned this to Bill because he had not heard about this, that this shush fund mm that apparently exists at the House of Representatives. So this Office of Compliance that deals with these sexual harassment claims. So the way that the the current 
process works is that if you level a charge against a member of Congress, you have to go through a 30-day counseling session. And then at the end of that, you can choose to go through a mediation, which usually lasts about 30 days. And then after that, you can request a hearing or file a lawsuit. So the counseling session is really just to try to convince the person that's leveling the charges to not go through with it. And then the mediation is to try to do the same thing. But then if it gets farther than that, there is money set aside to pay off these women. And so the statistics that I read today, so between 1997 and 2014, there were 235 claims leveled against House members. And there was about one settlement a month over the 17-year period, which ends up being about $17 million paid out to these women. And that is money that doesn't come from the individual members. It doesn't come from the House budget. This is taxpayer money. So it is a culture of shush that's been going on since the late 1990s to keep it out of the spotlight. Well, guess what? It's out and it's open and you cannot put that lid back on. And it's it would be an easy thing for Republicans now to say, oh, well, we're using taxpayer money. Maybe now we can have a conversation about this is too expensive to pay off right. these women. So let's talk about sexual harassment. It's We talk about the culture. It's embedded <clears throat> yeah. in the rules to continue to disenfranchise these women and try to keep them quiet, which also which serves the interests of the institution to keep them quiet, but then it also keeps women from ascending within the institution. Mm-hmm. So it, it serves two purposes. We're at the beginning of this conversation. I don't oh, think yeah. this goes away anytime soon. So, I, yeah, I, I was I was wrong, Nick. You were right. I know I was. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, yeah, I, I, we're yeah, almost halfway through at this point. I, I, as much as I think the Republicans have a, a much bigger issue, a more um, blatant issue to deal with right now, I think this is a wider D.C. institutional governmental oh, absolutely. thing yeah. that completely encompasses both parties at this point. And, and the, the best thing that can happen is for women to continue to come forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are both right. This is a societal dynamic, but Washington is particularly yes. awful. Yes, uh, And it's it is. the power. Yeah, it's the power. Absolutely. The it's, power. it's a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, should we move the tax reform to speed round and talk beers, Nick? Or <laughs> Yes. Okay. All right. So let's maybe let's, let's talk beers and cocktails. Oh, and cocktails. And then we'll move on Out to. Out of a travel yeah. log. So Suzanne, why don't you tell us what you're, what you're enjoying? So, um. I always have to give a little context because that's just who I am. So when I was asked today to do the podcast, I was A, super excited. B, joked a little bit to myself that every time there's some kind of gender conversation, I get asked to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, but I don't mind that role Three at all. white guys can't handle it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting a white woman can handle it, but I add a little bit of credibility yeah. to the conversation. Um, so anyway, I didn't have any beer at home, and Bill usually provides, but didn't have anything I would like. So he's like, why don't you bring a cocktail? I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's perfect. So in my... Um, North Central College <laughs> aluminum travel mug oh, yeah. is one of my yeah I said it is one of my favorite cocktails which is Tito's vodka which is the only vodka I will drink and a lime liqueur with fresh lime and fresh orange all like pulped up in there mm. shaken with nice. crushed ice and it is delightful yes and the guys tried it and they agreed it was it was refreshing yes yeah. it was and so you can hear it shaking there you, <laughs> <Yes>. hear it? <laughs> there you go <laughs> Nick, why don't you tell us about the uh, the pseudo Sioux Pale Ale that we had? It's got a dinosaur on oh. it. It looks like Barney. Yes, a scary like Barney. Barney. It does look like a very scary Barney. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, from uh, is it from Toppling Goliath? Yes, I didn't really know that. I don't either. So it's in partnership with the Field Museum. So Sioux is the the T Rex um, skeleton that they have there. Um, 
pretty good. Yeah. Pretty. Um, it looks dark-ish. Uh, oh, that's wait. A, oh, that's that. Yeah, that's that's not one. what yeah. that is. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of standard IPA. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm joking on it right now. Uh, no, it, it's um, it's it's pretty good. Uh, a little hoppier than I, I normally like, but not overly hoppy. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, four I out of five. I liked it. Yeah, for a beer that is created for a museum, my yeah. expectation was pretty low. <laughs> but this was very drinkable, and I think I've said, you know, the this is a pale ale as opposed to the IPA. And for some reason, le- lately, pale ales have been tasting really good, and this this tasted yeah. great. So it was. Did you uh, just say it was drinkable? Yes. You know who says that all the time? Who's that? Nick. I Nick? say it all the time. That's all I got. All yeah, it's all I think it's it, we're becoming one <laughs> beer reviewer. It's a little scary. <laughs> so, uh, but no, the can Either is wonderful. Or drinkable. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so thank you to the Field Museum. Thank you to Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. Uh, good, good beer. So mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Let's move to six topic speed round. Yes. So all right. So our first topic and speed round is the tax reform bill, which passed the House. And the good news is trickle down is back. I guess so. Uh, so. Good news for yeah. whom? Right. So the House passed a major tax reform bill. Uh, highlights are a big corporate tax cut, cutting from thirty-five percent to twenty. This is for about a this in the short term and the long term, and some really <laughs> interesting and creative, and some not so creative uh, implications. Implications. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, stuff. Uh, <laughs> this to me feels like an old school Republican mm. tax bill. Dealing with donors, dealing with corporate tax cuts, like this is the the establishment Republican has to be very happy with this. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure Trump's base is going to be happy with this. So the they broke it down to <clears throat> with the tax breaks, a average middle class family would get an additional what twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, right now that changes right now over in time. 2022 and 2023. To increase or decrease? Increase taxes for middle class families. Oh, increase taxes? Yeah, so oh, I did so my I homework. Had to throw yeah. My thing at the might I? There. Might I? Sure, go to, the, go to the notes. Go to my notes. So there's the middle class tax break is going to expire in 2023, which is going to create. So right now, for example, about 92% of families are going to see some kind of tax cut. By 2022, when the uh, family flexible credit expires, and then by 2023, when the middle class tax break expires, you're going to see a tax increase for about 52% of families. So only 40% of families are going to see a, a, a decrease at, out of that 92 originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once those tax breaks go away, we're going to see an increase for most families, which they're burying deep in the details about that. That's the bread and butter of Trump's base. It's uh, right, and I'm so. <laughs> I'm just saying. What happened to the infrastructure bill? Can we go back to yes. infrastructure? What? Oh, so yes. so what happens? So uh, is it that Trump just needs something passed, something that can say that he's been successful, that he's willing to give up on the populism to move to a more core? I mean, this is really about corporations, and, and the corporations picking for, the wrong fucking thing. Yeah, <laughs> like you're right. not good at it. Just do the thing that everybody wants you to do. Even George, so George W. Bush's big tax cut mm-hmm. was really more focused on middle class families, and then Obama extended them. That says something. Yes, yeah. uh, this is different. This is going to corporate class. Going to, I mean, they're getting rid of the estate tax. Yep. That's something for super rich guys. Yep. This is kind of surprising, and I'm wondering why Trump's willing to compromise on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because. 
Trump voters, well, I don't want to say Trump voters exclusively. We see this across the board, is that voters are not ideological anymore. They're party loyalists. Mm -hmm. And so Trump can get away, for example, with a lot more stuff because he's not a conservative and he doesn't have to reserve on, rely on conservative principles so that the base is not conservative anymore. The base is Republican now. Right. And so if this is a Republican tax bill, it doesn't matter what's actually in it. It's like, oh, it's a Republican tax bill and they're going to do stuff for small businesses and they're going to do things for um, some middle class families right now. Then, okay, cool. That's totally fine as long as you tell me that it's not going to increase the deficit in the long term because you're going to have a revenue increase or some kind of spending, program spending decrease on shit that I don't need. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I said a lot of things. No, no, no. It's, just, it's surprising that I don't know. I guess he. I guess he isn't as engaged in the. No. In the specifics he didn't here. Write this. Yeah, uh, because I would think first of all, well, fiscal hawks have to be concerned about this because this is going to increase the deficit. Green uh, caucus is very wary. Yeah, and even economists are coming down saying that this is not going to stimulate the uh, most economists, not all, but most right. economists saying this is not going to stimulate the economy. They had this uh, event where they had a bunch of CEOs together and they asked them, you know, given this tax bill, are you more likely to increase wages? And they asked for a, like a show of hands. And most did raise their hands. Right. Why would you do that? They want more right. profit. They're not going to help the workers. They're going to help themselves. Right. So right now, corporations are holding on. So I, I get I get the strategic logic of this if you want to pull corporations back to the United States. But it doesn't seem very politically savvy that you're not, you know, the bread and butter, as you said, uh, those that elected Donald Trump, this doesn't benefit them at all. Nope. And maybe they're indifferent. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't bring back the coal jobs. No. It doesn't bring no. back manufacturing. It does not. Uh, like, and again... Uh, just making jokes about things, there. Go for an easy win yeah. on something, oh, and yeah. realistically, if the infrastructure bill was like a slam dunk. Just yep. leave do that. It. Just do it. Be done with it. Right. That can be your thing for four years, and people will be happy about it. <laughs> and you put pressure on Democrats. Then I don't have yeah. flying cars. You can. I don't yes. Have hover trains. <laughs> right. hover I have trains? underwater cities. I don't know. Do we have hover? Trains? I don't know. I don't know what that is even. Bridges don't work too good anymore. Bridges, yeah. Because <laughs> right. they're not made by Americans. They're made with Chinese steel. Right. <laughs> the flying cars. We need to fix the fucking bridges. Yes. God, it's so true. No, this, this is a unique one that just – it. do uh, you think it's going to pass? Well, the Senate's not even looking at it. The Senate wrote its own. Right, right. So, so much – like the Senate's not repealing the state tax, for example. They're not – they're collapsing the tax brackets but in a different way. The higher education stuff that's in the House bill is not in the Senate bill. Right. There's so much that's different that – from what I gather about what I still understand about congressional procedure, I don't see how they ping pong this back and forth because there's so many differences between the two. They probably have to go to conference committee. That is much more difficult. And that's we, we just touched on the higher edge thing. That that's really important because universities across the country are worried about this. They're going to be taxing graduate student income. Yep. This is a big deal for research one universities. Actually, yes. all universities that have graduate students. We, uh, yeah. we probably could have not afforded to get our PhDs. Right. So because our tuition waivers. Or it would be counted as income, we'd be taxed. So I had a grad student colleague of mine that did the math, and he would have owed $51,000 in taxes. <laughs> yeah. No. I couldn't have gone to grad school. No, people wouldn't. No. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the goal because they're all, you know, anti-intellectual, and they don't like elites. Maybe they want less academics. That, that's more populist. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> so, that was what yes. it was. You guys are oh. insufferable sometimes. Yeah, we are. Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, topic number two, uh, Trump and some UCLA basketball players stuck in a Chinese prison. So stuck in a Chinese prison. Most actually, actually, they were stuck in a hotel, I think. They weren't <laughs> even in a prison. So this all started prior to Trump's trip to China when three UCLA players who were out there for, I'm guessing, some basketball tournament mm -hmm. uh, were detained in China for shoplifting. 
Now, Nick, you shouldn't shoplift. They it's shoplifted wrong. Louis Vuitton, by the way. Did they really? Yes. And, and as a Louis owner, I'm Louis very upset. Oh, about this. I didn't realize that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just add a little something. <laughs> so, so they were detained. <laughs> and then on Trump's trip, he mentioned it to President Xi. Uh, and they released, they released him. Good job, President Trump. And now that's where this story should have ended. <laughs> oh, but no. It didn't. Uh, this led to multiple tweets from the president in which he expressed some angst that the players, who are black, didn't express gratitude to him for this. Mm-hmm. And then it led to a back and forth with LeVar Ball, who is the father of one of the players. And if you follow sports, a, I don't know, Suzanne, how would you describe him? LeVar He's, Ball? Yeah. He is... Uh, an opportunist. I think yeah. the best definition of the word would be LeVar Ball next in the dictionary. Yeah. He, he is all about branding his sons and he's very brash and abrasive. And his One son <laughs> plays for the Lakers. Yes. Yeah. And he is saying he's going to be rookie of the year and he's the best player ever and they all have shoe brands. He's homeschooling his youngest son right now to prepare. I, it's just... He's an idiot. Yeah. He, yeah, is, he, is. he is. He's bombastic yeah. at, at its, his core. So, so Trump yeah. tweets out, do you think the three UCLA players will say thank you, President Trump? They were headed for 10 years in jail uh, in one of his tweets. And then later. Chinese jail. Yes, which is not not a good jail. <laughs> um, so, so then a couple days later, he said, now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, LeVar Ball, the father of LiAngelo, is accepting unaccepting of what I did for his son. And that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail. Come on. I know. This was such a win. You were doing so well. Um, but he can't leave it alone. No, and it's this whole, you're know, very Self- ungrateful. Mm-hmm. Yes. In all fairness, LeVar's response was pretty shitty. Yeah, oh, Trump but, who, right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. No, he was uh, He was saying that, you know, it's, I didn't raise him like that, and you can't, you know, hold it against my son for having one instance of this. That doesn't represent him, and... Like it just it, all he had to do was just keep your mouth shut. Oh, like but just, Ball can't do that. I know he can't. But it was he in, just should. It was inevitable. Just like Trump just should. It right. was inevitable that these two idiots were going to have right. some like so similar. yes, right. So they're both idiots, but the one's president and the other should just stop talking. But no, it was. It's <laughs> terrible. It, it's it's bad that the president gets pulled into this. There are uncomfortable racial elements to this, that the president continues to hit on these racial dynamics, black players, ungrateful to him. Do you really think that's what he meant? I don't know. I think it's part of it, though. Yeah. I really do. I'm not sure if it's a driving force, but to to request praise from the little black boys over in China who he saved from this, like, life in the prison, I I think that there is something to this. I I really do. Even if his ego is colorblind. It, it could, ah. that's, a, that's a good point. Even if it is, he should have known better, or somebody should have told him, be careful when you do this. He Did also, that just come out of your mouth? <laughs> he picks fights, and they can't stop him. Marshawn Lynch this week as well. He continues to f- pick fights with black athletes, and that doesn't play well. No. So I just think that there may not be, I, I, it's, we have to get into his soul to know what's really going oh, on is there. there one though it's it's probably oh, pretty dark but if, if lob that one in. yeah I, I know right I couldn't not it's it's troubling either way and he has to has to stop playing these racial dynamics because it's just it's painting him in a way that if he doesn't want to be painted that way he shouldn't he shouldn't pick fights but he keeps doing with athletes like I just yeah. just don't do that. Yeah, it's right. Just, all you have to do is not do that. Yep. It's so simple. But there, you it, know how we don't do that? Do that. Yeah, just don't right. just do yeah. what we do, which is don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. 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 But for him, it's he sees them as easy wins, right? 
I think that's part of it is that if he's not getting a lot of policy wins and even though the trip to Asia was historic and the best trip a president's ever had in the whole history of the United States because that's what he said there's nothing really going on he's not really doing Fal- anything false false <laughs> your face was the best part of that by the way so he continues to talk about things that are irrelevant because it's a way for him to be relevant yeah but what happens is that, as Bill always uses the word, then we normalize, mm-hmm. right? Or you're in the jail. What do you always say, Nick, when you're in the jail and you're marking it on the you're wall? You, you're and used to prison. Used you're to in. prison yeah, now. Yeah. I was saying this to my students that were laughing about the tweet about Kim Jong-un being short and fat, and they thought it was hilarious. And I was like, but can we just like stop and talk about for a second? The president of the United States is engaging in Twitter wars with, well, either athletes or foreign leaders. Mm-hmm. Like, is that really what I'm talking about? Right, is right. Real, I mean, and that tweets are official White House documents and are going to be archived. Like, really? Is that what I'm talking about right now? Yes, I am. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. What's going on? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just went off track there. But it's just the whole thing. It's, it's, no, it, it, it is. And it's troubling that it's, I think, the fact that he continues to go back to the NFL, mm-hmm. go back to Colin Kaepernick, go back to Marshawn Lynch and, right. and pick on, on black men who are... You know, elitist in his perspective. It's, it's they troubling. They don't know their place. Right. He's and, putting them back in their place. And he's got to stay away from this language of being ungrateful. I mean, this is what the pre- the president is supposed to get Americans out of jail. That's yeah. part of your job. And you don't get credit for it. You just just do it and you move on. Didn't so. Comey tweet about this this week? Did you see? He had this I cryptic didn't. tweet oh. about... Another one of him in a wheat field somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> when he finally admitted that his he, he was Niebuhr. Mm-hmm. But no, he... He Comey, changed. He's not Niebuhr anymore, so I'm not following his Oh, closely. man. But I, the, the exact language was a quote, potentially from a former president, that said something about being a leader is about taking more blame than you deserve and taking less credit than you deserve or he, something like that. He doesn't like that. No. Yeah. No. no. No, Comey does. Comey Trump, does. Trump right, does. exactly. Yeah. But it's just true. I found that to be an interesting quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, switching to the international realm. No, uh, so our next topic is Robert Mugabe today. This officially, he officially... He gone. He's gone. Yeah, that's right. I love that. Uh, so uh, Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe since 1980. That's crazy. Yeah, so most Zimbabweans have... Alive. Yeah, right. Stop it. <laughs> Although I was born in 79, so... Have, <laughs> have not known anything other than Robert Mugabe. So today, uh, this this is a long... I should say long, but a slow-developing story where he removed his vice president, uh, basically so that his wife, who is 52... So Robert Mugabe is 93. His current wife is 52, and his hope was that she would take over. This led to some backlash where the military carried out a coup, even though they said it wasn't a coup. Uh, and then over the last couple of days, there's been this uh, expectation that he would step down. He gave a big speech a couple of days ago where they thought he was going to step, step down, and he didn't. He just gave a speech. <laughs> and he's like, I'm still here. <laughs> so the government moved to impeachment proceedings today. And uh, in the process of those impeachment proceedings, he gave a speech or a letter that said he's stepping down. So this is this is a big deal for Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So now what? I don't know. Discussion. <laughs> no, I, no, but, no, go ahead. <clears throat> no, it's really interesting because it's. I, I mean, there are few places in Africa that have seen, while it's not the most stable of countries, have seen that stable of a at least some form of governmental structure. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't know what this does for Zimbabwe, or Zimbabwe at this point, or for the region for that matter. Um, if it throws everything into chaos, or something better comes out of it, and you know, 
generally speaking, when you have a military coup, you don't really see anything good coming out of it. But right, I, it, mm, it, it depends on the military. Do they move back toward a democratic they process? They seem like a very civil military. A yes. bloodless coup. Right, yes. and they were very clear about trying to say, let's not use the word coup. We're just helping the democratic process. Mm-hmm. Now, for me... By overthrowing the government. Right. The <laughs> military constitution. That's real democratic. Right. Yeah. Military constitution. So the vice president, uh, who was at odds with Mugabe toward the end of his reign, if he ends up being in power, he's a pretty good dictator himself, right? Okay. So he was not... He was the one who carried out a lot of Mugabe's uh, wishes. So I, I think... I hope they move in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I think Mugabe's wife, Grace Mugabe, was also problematic. So mm-hmm. that's not a good development either. For me, what's really interesting about this is that a month ago, if you would have asked me, is there going to be any kind of political change in Zimbabwe? I would have said no. Mm-hmm. He's been there since 1980. Yeah. He's still alive, right? right. He'll die in office. And, then, right. and yeah. he did. At one point, he said, only God will remove me from office. Right. So the fact that suddenly what we see here is that you don't expect any kind of change. And then when change begins, it happens really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this was kind of a simmering thing, though. They saw his wife attempting yeah. to yes. take power. Yes. And they knew they had to do something. Yes. But I, this was pretty drastic. Yeah. yeah. But maybe yeah. it was their only recourse. I don't know. Well, Mugabe made the mistake of firing the vice president. That's right. what started this all. If he hadn't done that, he probably sticks around. But that's interesting, right? So only So one move sets this all in motion where suddenly the vice president is removed the 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 political system doesn't like the idea of transitioning power to grace mugabe uh and this it is responds where you should have just killed the vice president right <laughs> that's very machiavellian I, right yeah <laughs> so. i mean if we're talking about mugabe right it's yeah. not like we're talking about the pillar of morality and ethics right I mean, I don't, you know, oh, you yeah. remove him, sure. which then shows that you're doing some shifting. Right. Just have him go away. Well, he it's... magically disappears. <laughs> wow, Saddam. I'm just saying. This is why I'm not an IR person. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, he has a mixed legacy because he was the one who ushered Zimbabwe to independence. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, he pulls him away from British colonialism. That's a big sure. thing. So historically, he will be remembered fondly for that. But then there was like that 30 years of other stuff. Yes, absolutely. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. And there are there's a whole host of these great men in Africa who need to go, whether we're talking about Zimbabwe or Uganda or Rwanda. Mm-hmm. I mean, just these guys that stick around forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured he would die in office. Uh, he's been sleepy. He's been so sleepy so lately. Sleepy. He and Mo- Tillerson, they're just so tired. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Most events were Mugabe. I think even in his speech the other day, they thought he fell asleep for a while, right? You know, the one he was supposed to resign. Well, if, when you're 93, aren't you yeah. going to want to sleep? I want to sleep right now, and right. I'm not even 40 right. yet. Right. I'm tired. It's dark <laughs> no. yeah. And he's not even, he wasn't really even there. It was Grace who was controlling issue things. So what happens his... to her now? This is my question. Yeah. So he stepped down. So before the impeachment procedure actually happened, he's stepped down. What happens to her? Her. She's either going to go into exile or she disappears. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's no power play here. I am sure that they've been no funneling money to offshore accounts. Right. And so if I'm Grace Mugabe, I get out of Dodge as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. I go live off go the billions of dollars that yes. I've probably like, stolen. Stole. And I hope that Zimbabwe never gets their hands on me again. Maybe she and Paul Manafort can go hang out. Right. That's right. Because she is not a particularly likable figure. Uh, Robert Mugabe is, is, he has history. He's yeah. important. Uh, you maybe look the other way. I, I don't think they're going to do anything negative to him. Mm-hmm. But if I'm her, I'm, I'm worried. So, yeah. so I, I mean, the other part of this is, like, the country itself is still fairly split on, on what happened over the past week. Yeah. What does that say for what happens next? You know, in the immediate future? Is mm-hmm. this 
a civil war type of situation or is this is the country stable enough or does the military have enough power to suppress something like that Hmm. that's a you have two seconds i think that i think the military in the short term will be stable (laughs) if they move towards more of a democratic process. I yep. think we look at what's happening in Kenya I right now. I was just going to say yeah. that. So Kenya is, is really, Kenya is the bright star of democracy yes. With, in it's Africa. A, it's not without problem. It, exactly. But, it's, it's an yes. ugly democracy. The, the Supreme Court or the court just in Kenya ruled that the, the election can go forward or the, the results are there. So it's, if they move toward democracy, we're entering a new stage of instability, democratic instability, which I think is better than authoritarianism. But yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not necessarily going to be better. Yeah. So, all right, sticking with sort of international issues, uh, the State Department. Wait, there is still one? Yeah, there is, barely. Okay. Uh, has been, we've talked a little bit about this. They've been cutting and cutting, but this Secretary week. Secretary Tumbleweed. Tumbleweed, <laughs> yes. Secretary Drumstick. Right. <laughs> this week, uh, the, uh, so this, uh, Ambassador Barbara Stevenson, who is the, her, she's the president of the Foreign Service Journal. Uh, came out and wrote a letter, which is gonna, which was made public, where she talked about the numbers and the the number of people that have been cut from major positions. And the State Department truly has been gutted. Uh, so the in terms of the career ranks, uh, are their three star equivalents are down from thirty three to nineteen. The ranks of their two star ministerial counselors have dropped from four thirty one to three sixty nine. Uh, somebody said, if the military cuts, if the military had similar cuts, we would be on the border of being a defenseless military right now. So what's happening in the State Department is that all of the career people are leaving, the good career people, mm-hmm. people that have served for both parties, see no utility in sticking around. There's no, you know, Tillerson doesn't want them there. There's no value in sticking. And so it's a, I think it's disturbing and troubling in terms of U.S. foreign policy going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts? <laughs> so yes to yeah. all the things you just said, but... I, it's just an, it's an interesting phenomenon to, to look at all of the cabinet positions and lower, you know, sort of within, within the cabinet positions that are not filled across the different agencies. And some could argue that these are the, this is the most dangerous to not have the state department be fully staffed with people who Mm -hmm. know what they're actually doing. Um, But I think Trump had a quote recently where it was, he was talking about the inability to get some of his cabinet appointees and even federal judges through congress and he was like well they need to they need to uh confirm them all but we don't really need them all so we're gonna look at how many of them we actually need but wait they need to confirm them all so is is it that the low level people are leaving because there's nobody at the top left because they haven't those positions haven't been filled or they're leaving because the people that are at the top don't want them there but then we have holes in all these other agencies as well because trump either doesn't know doesn't care or only wants yes men running these agencies with nobody underneath them. I don't think the Trump administration, especially at those higher levels, thinks that we need a State Department. So Trump the other day gave this big speech on NATO. And in a 23-minute speech, he used the he used the word I 42 times. Oh, my gosh. And, and when you think about it, when you listen to him talk, it, there was he gave an interview recently where they asked him was about the— Was he just continually saying there's no I in team? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I don't think so, Nick. Oh, There's I'm no sorry. I in Trump. I, I, mis, I misunderstood. But he was asked recently, what do you think about all the cuts at State Department? And he said, well, they're not all that concerning. Some of these, like you said, some of these positions we don't need to fill. I'm the only one that matters. Mm-hmm. And that should really, really concern us. Because, Absolutely. yes, the person at the top, the president, matters a lot. But these lower-level people, 
they're the ones that lay the foundation for these agreements. Whether we don't have an ambassador to South Korea right now, that's insane. This is an important thing. He just went. They're fine. <laughs> right. They're fine. easily. He took care good. of it. Yes, he's fine. <laughs> but if you're going to have dialogue, dialogue takes a long time. Yes. No, he doesn't, right? And that's the thing. And even Tillerson has said, if you're not going to have a fully developed State Department, you've got to give me more guns because we're going we're gonna to be doing more fighting. Right. And I think that's the reality. That's the bigger lesson to draw from this is that we're stuck in a, in a world where the United States is going to increasingly try to solve problems mm-hmm. through a military through military mechanisms. Mm-hmm. It's, and it should, it should terrify us. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm equally as concerned as you guys are. I think there is something to be said, at least when we were initially starting to talk about um, changes to the State Department and other governmental agencies, that there is a lot of bureaucratic fat that can probably be trimmed, but in a strategic, surgical kind of way, not, you know, gaping wound that's just bleeding all over the floor kind of way. Um, it's, it's gotten really, really bad, which I didn't really expect it to do, yeah. especially this quickly. I imagine people would be leaving, and other people, either that weren't necessarily quite as qualified or were just new to the position, would be kind of filing in a little bit more slowly. But it's just a almost a year in. Now. It's a yeah. mad rush out of these positions, mm-hmm. which I, again I didn't really expect to see. And at the at the upper level, so I think they said like the, the top tier of State Department officials were down like sixty percent. Yes. And, and these are people that have served for multiple administrations. They don't think about partisanship because the reality is they're just engaging the world. Right. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is something that's not quickly resolved with the new administration. Even mm-hmm. if if a Democrat or another Republican is elected, you can't move back that quickly because no. you're building rapport over years and years and years, and it's just a fundamental shift in U.S. foreign policy. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, and, and you were making the joke about it earlier that tweets are now official yeah. White House, official White House yeah. communications yes. and. If those are the things that are going out to the world, why do you necessarily, besides doing damage control, why do you need people speaking directly to these countries or institutions? Well, and that's or his whatnot? point: is that right. he all you need is him, right? right? To, to Bill's point, like all, he has said this over and over again, he's like, "I'm the most important one. All you need is me, and then I will take care of all of it." But the, the thing is, like, he won't because he doesn't know the things he needs to know to take sure. care of things. And so the people who have the knowledge, which is the people, these are the people you're talking about, Bill, they're not there. And diplomacy is so much the give and take. So every once in a while you see a deal made where you say, like, why did that country agree to that? It, it doesn't seem fair. The reason they agreed to it is because there was diplomacy behind the scenes and they're getting something else. Right. And it's over the long term. And so if we move Iterative. to this more, yeah, exactly, the short term mm. military reactionism, it's, 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 mm. It's not it's not a sexy topic, but it's it's a really really big one. Sure. So. What do you say? Short term military reaction? Yes, ism. I think that's a phrase now. Yeah, that is something. <laughs> yeah. No, like that hit me. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. That's good. I'm yeah, glad. It's good. <laughs> so, all right, sticking again. I, all the speed rounds have, other than Trump and his UCLA stuff, have been international. Mm. So, but this one's an easy one. This is uh, so Trump's national security advisor, McMaster. It was alleged, or a story broke this week, that uh, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster unloaded about President Donald Trump at a private dinner in July. And according to this report, he referred to his boss as an idiot and a dope and a man with the intelligence of a kindergartner. 
That's not nice. That's insulting no. to my really nice. to my first grader. Now this this is in line with other comments from Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who famously referred to Trump as a moron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the CIA director, Mike Pompeo, uh, has cut huge amounts of text from intelligence briefings, uh, resorting to, quote, killer graphics, because that's the way Trump can best understand the information we're trying to communicate. You say killer graphics? Killer, killer. graphics. So colorful like, and bright and yes. easy. Paint like by numbers. Days, like killer? <laughs> like that. Exactly, rad, yes. Rad. Okay. Totally. Rad graphics. All right, so the question I have for you two is there are three different ways I see we can categorize Trump. Oh, yeah. three? Yes. One is as an idiot, mm, like as a moron, one. right? Just that it's just the knucklehead who doesn't know what's going on. The other is he's just an arrogant jerk. Hmm. And the third is he's mentally ill. And we're seeing these three None narratives. Of those things are nice, by the Can you have a nice And they're, not, they're also not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I know that's a good question. So, so we're seeing seeing lots of articles written where they fall into one of those three categories either he's just a jerk he's a misogynist he you know he hates people or he's just not very bright and we're seeing those from within the administration usually fall into that category where he's a moron he's an idiot or we're also seeing some discussion about there's some mental illness mm-hmm. where do we fall on this do you see a combination of this uh do you see i don't know so i think all of this is a function of there's been some interesting things written about his mother lately i don't know if any of you've seen Mm-mm. this about things that he has so his mother is sort of this we don't know much about her she's kind of this enigmatic figure where he talks a lot about his father doesn't talk a lot about his mother and apparently and i, I i'm gonna apologize to the listeners if i get some of these facts wrong but i think i have most of it right that i'm credible enough <laughs> um she his mother had said something to i think it was Ivanka Trump at one point like who is this son that I have created who is this person Mm. and so if you go back and look at I always try to when I tell my students we talk about the presidents to go back and look at them as children and their upbringing try to understand who they are and the kind of person that they would become and a lot of what is written about Trump from those who were in his inner circle and those who were in his family and friends and so forth that he's the same person now that he was when he was in elementary school Mm. at the fundamental core he's exactly the same person who was a, a lot of that as a function of the way that his father rode him and the way that he was raised and all of this. So I think part of this is that he's legit stunted. Yeah. And so he's an idiot because he never mentally matured past elementary school. He hates people because his father taught him to hate people. Hmm. And I don't know about the mentally ill part, but I would say that it's probably those first two things for sure. So you're saying he's more of an idiot jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And maybe there's He's mental the illness Blue peppered in politics. on the side. But. <laughs> like that. Nick, yeah. do you – so of those three narratives, is one more appealing to you or do you reject all three to, of his, of them? Do you prefer uh, Trump option. as a grandfatherly figure? Oh, or? Okay. Like you said, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. I, I think he's a – He's an arrogant jerk, and yeah. arrogant jerks tend to be idiots on top of it. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, yeah. I, I I mean, I hesitate to say that he's not intelligent as much as people give him shit for all the, the bankruptcies and all that. There is something to be said. Like, it's impossible to be a complete moron and still have an organization that does make money or some organizations that make yeah. money um I, I but think, it's one thing to be able to do that and another thing to like run the free world yes 
It's a different kind no. of knowledge. I think it's much easier. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yes. Sorry yes. to burst your bubble there, but Question Trump mark. makes me think it's easier to be rich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, I I I I don't have a good answer for it. Yeah. It's 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 hard to tell. I generally lean towards him just being an arrogant asshole who yeah. doesn't like to listen to other people, which blinds him to the reality sure. of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, you know, of those three, I think the the mental illness is less compelling to me, and we're seeing more and more of that. And I think to the point that Suzanne made, Trump has been consistent over his life. And it seems to me a crutch that if we're going to argue that, oh, it's Alzheimer's or something like that. No, because he's he has been – when he's stressed, he lashes out. But I think that he's got a history of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that there's this – I don't think he's particularly bright when it comes to policy issues. Mm-hmm. And that should concern us. He doesn't want details. He doesn't want uh, a fully developed you know presidential briefing. That, I think he is either indifferent or ignorant of most of those things. And the fact that – the brain trust around him is secretly saying this, that's leaking out, that he's a moron, that he's an idiot. McMaster and Tillerson are the, are the two that are supposed to be in control. So here's the thing about yeah. that. And we talk about the decorum of these institutions, too. Like, what does that say? It's either so bad that they can't handle it or they're also falling prey to this kind of narrative that everything around them is, is right. kind of creating. I think it's the former. I yes. think they're shocked, but I don't know. And okay. then, but the consequences yeah. of them not doing what they're doing is that the world falls apart. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are really high. Well, and I'm but curious. the guys. Like, help, yeah. either help the guy. But he doesn't want to be. He can't be helped. He doesn't know he needs help. The first the first step is admitting you have a problem. Well, here's the question. Can, will he? So the press is going to ask him about this at some point. You know, what do you think about uh, McMaster's comments? He can't. He can't leave go alone, after. Him. He, he just has to say, "Oh, it's a lie! It's a lie!" You know, it's the same thing that happened with Tillerson. Though, so, mm. yeah, it's turkey time, Nick. Ooh, it's a turkey. Yay. So our final speed round topic, Senator and we don't have to fill out. Stick. We don't have to fill out five turkey minutes here. Turkey is the, the least interesting part of Thanksgiving dinner. May I just say that the stuffing is the best. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Stuffing, mm. like corn stuffing. casserole. I love stuffing with a little bit of gravy on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like my. it crispy. Or soggy. I, I like any kind of stuffing. Like a homemade <laughs> I usually have to make two, a crispy one and a soggy one. All of it. It's all good. Of it. Stove top, fancy, doesn't matter. Yeah. Stove top. Yeah. It's all delicious. So t- <laughs> today was the famous presidential turkey pardon. And so we should talk a little bit about the turkey pardon and the history of this. Uh, so recently, presidents have pardoned turkeys. And Suzanne, what color was the turkey today? They're white turkeys. Because, yeah, of course, were, the white turkeys get the pardon because the brown turkeys, where are they? Oh, and we Jesus. were having a conversation before we went on air of, like, where did he find these white turkeys? So, all right. So, interestingly, I didn't realize this, that and Nick and I were talking beforehand, that it was George H.W. Bush who was the first one that really uh, formalized the turkey pardon hmm. ceremony. So, before that, it was more sporadic. It used to be that turkeys were brought to the White House for eaten. Yeah, that's eating. what you, that's what you did. Yeah, people would just send turkeys. Yeah, knock their heads off. So, oh, yeah. Maybe Kennedy actually. <laughs> Kennedy, they they believe Kennedy was the first one to pardon a turkey. Uh, they brought the turkey in, and my favorite part—I'm going to show you this—is that there's a picture of him pardoning a turkey, and the tr- they made the turkey wear a sign that says "Good eating, Mr. President." Oh my! That's you know, it's not right to do to a turkey. No, yeah. poor turkey. Apparently, Abraham Lincoln also pardoned a turkey. But for Christmas. Oh. 
Wait, so, what? Yeah, so that's different. Yeah. Should well, he pardon a pig? Wait, don't people eat ham on Christmas? Yes, that's the big we thing. Should pardon a pig. Yeah, but it's okay to eat ham on on Thanksgiving as well. It's, I'm making a ham for yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's yummy. So, so today <laughs> when uh, Trump pardoned drumstick and what was the other turkey? There was another turkey. There were two turkeys. Two. Oh, really? And I can't remember. I think I have it. But drumstick's the best name. Oh, drumstick and wishbone. Oh, that's oh a God. good one too. Though. So, oh. so, uh, so this is from CNN. So Trump walked to where Senator drumstick stood, uh, and he uh, calmly waited for his star moment. And then he quote said, "quote I feel so good about myself doing this." Trump said as he stroked the turkey. Then he finally declared, "Drumstick, you are hereby pardoned." I just, I, I can't, like, yes. it's the President of the United States stroking a turkey, saying, I feel really good about this. Although, remember, Obama. Really, really, good, really good about myself doing this. <laughs> like, no president is going to look good doing this. No, Obama was famous for word. for having these terrible jokes oh, and having so his daughters here. So it's it's a, yeah. it's an awkward thing. And I would say Trump was awkward, but he wasn't, he wasn't any more awkward than others. So the question is, do you think the turkey is the last one pardoned by Trump in 2017? Or do you think he pardons, not a turkey, Nick, but like somebody else before the end of the year? I'm glad you clarified that. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes. I thought he was just going to, you were going with the mental illness thing. He was just going to start pardoning turkeys every other day. <laughs> or, you know, pardon cats. So, so this, this connects us to the Mueller investigation. Do you think, or actually Mueller investigation or any other potential pardons, do you think, is the turkey the last presidential pardon of 2017? Probably. Yeah? I don't know. I could be wrong here, but as we get towards the end of the year, I'd be surprised before Congress goes on their winter recess mm. if Mueller comes out with some, the Mueller investigation yeah. opens up some, you know, another indictment or something big breaks mm. before yeah. the end of the year. So I'd say probably probably the only pardon in 2017. Well, not the only because Arpaio. Right. The last pardon of sure. 2017. Yeah, I think Arpaio be, and the turkey. Right. Arpaio and it, not too far off. <laughs> yeah. I think you would be remiss to start pardoning people right now, given the climate. Yeah. Um, although I guess once they come back from recess as well, that's probably not a good time to pardon people either with the investigation going on. Um, I, I mean, who do you think he would actually pardon Kushner? at this point? Yeah. Well, because don't you think Kushner is one of the next ones? I I'm going to make my prediction here. I oh. think there's at least I think there's a pardon before the end you of do. 2017. I who? think so. Flynn? No. No, I don't think Flynn. Money I think on it's on the table now. <laughs> right. yeah. Do you have any money? I in think your no. I don't actually. <laughs> I think it's Kushner or Don Jr. I think they're that's coming before the end of the yes, year. Yes, I think so because he's worried about the pressure that's coming on though. So they promised Trump, or try, I should say, Trump's lawyer, uh, Ty Cobb, said, "Oh, this is all going to be wrapped up by Thanksgiving." No, it's not. And close. Mueller's just getting moving on this, and I, so I'm 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 expecting some kind of erratic, familiar family pardon. Familial, yeah. So but that's, you think this is going to happen before the end of the year? I think really? so. Yeah, I think so. Really? I think the stress is building on him, and I think you something's going to shake out. Somebody until they get charged with right. something. What they no, you can do beforehand. You can't. Yes. A preemptive pardon? You can. No, you can what? do that. Tom Cavanaugh was on the podcast and he told us all that. I missed that one. He did tell us yes. that. You I'm can sorry, do a preemptive Tom. pardon? You can. So can you say for drinking. anything that may. No. Okay. <laughs> Not for anything that you, you might do in the future, but everything that you've done. So so you could pardon someone and say, in case this person was ever charged with doing something illegal before this day, yes. they are pardoned. Yes. What? Yep. God, I want one of those. I know. So my what I, that's what I'm guessing. I'm thinking you want one in case. <laughs> the stress is going to get to him. And it may be a Kushner. It may be a Don Jr. Somebody close to him. I think it is not 
I think it's likely it's going to happen sooner than later. That's dumb. No, it is. For it him is. to do. But that's why it's going to happen. That's dumb. <laughs> For him to do that, to give a blanket pardon to his family members before they've been charged with anything? Yeah, that would be bad. I mean, I see your point, but oh my God. But if, if you think about it, I don't think he's going to, he's not going to pardon Flynn because he's not family. But those uh, those guys are family. They're True. not going to turn on him. And so you get him out of the investigation. They can no longer claim the fifth at that point. Right. But Whoa. they know. That's dangerous. Though. I know. Yeah. I know. It is. You've got 30 days. Do you really think that would happen? 30 days, Nick, is like six years in normal time. In Trump time, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's like 45 days. Yeah. 40 so I, days. I could be wrong, but that's I'm feeling I'm feeling a pardon. Come on. I kind of like this, though. Yeah. This this is, I guess, there's it could a be It could be all the turkey pardons. I don't know. No. She's just going to do turkeys. That's just right. do turkeys. Yes. Yeah. Let's find all the different But not black athletes. He's not going right. to pardon. Right. No, 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 no. You yeah. can't do that. That's yeah. silly. Um, plugs, I suppose, since we didn't really do that at the beginning. That's right. Um... So if you like what you heard, um, or, or even, even if you, you dislike, yeah, <laughs> right, we'll right. take anything at this point. Um, yeah, follow us on Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Uh, if you have beer suggestions or comments or questions you'd like us to answer, send something to our email address uh, BarstoolPolitics at yahoo.com. Uh, you can check out all the beers that we've tried on the Untapped app. You can download on iOS and Android. And uh, definitely uh, like us and share us on iTunes. That's how we continue to kind of grow this thing. And I'm hoping there's nothing else because I'm running out of breath. That's good. No, it's everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne, for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. Bop, bop. Cheers. Did you say bop, bop, bop.